This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health, discussing conception, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I learn something new every time I talk with our guest for this episode. We are talking with Inkem Indefo about resiliency and understanding how deeply stress impacts us in pregnancy and postpartum. Inkem has become a friend over the last couple of years, and she's just amazing. She understands the perinatal period, understands the impact of stress and trauma on our minds and bodies, and is actively working with communities in need of support. This is an essential conversation in part because we all have stress, but in different ways. Some people have periodic stress, and for some, it's ongoing. What we do know is that stress, depression, and anxiety can impact pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Inkem uses a nervous system lens to look at how stress is impacting people, and she supports pregnant and postpartum women to expand their resiliency and resources. Inkem is the founder and president of Lumos Transforms, and creator of the Resilience Toolkit. As a certified nurse midwife, Inkem holds a master's degree in nursing from Frontier Nursing University. She has extensive postgraduate training in complementary health modalities and emotional therapies. She brings an abundance of experience as a clinician, educator, consultant, and community strategist to innovative programs that reduce stress and build resilience for individuals, organizations, and communities throughout the U.S. She worked for California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative, researching maternal death outcomes, and served on the Los Angeles County Trauma and Resilience-Informed Systems Change Initiative Work Group. Currently, she sits on the Strategic Planning Committee for the Trauma-Informed Task Force of Greater Los Angeles. Let's meet Inkem. Welcome, Inkem. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Kat. I'm very excited to share your brilliance with um, the audience. I've known you for a couple of years now and just in awe of the work that you do and um, I'm really, really happy for everyone to know about it. Um, So maybe just start there and and let us know about the work that you do. 
Thank you so much. I think we have a mutual admiration club going. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I'm originally trained as a nurse midwife and actually had a home birth practice from in Los Angeles area from 2001 until 2007. And um, then did some work in uh, maternal actual uh, mortality research. But one of the things that drew me to midwifery in the first place was I had originally, um, while I was in college, undergrad, done some more community health organizing and health education, street-based health education with really vulnerable populations and feeling like I wasn't really making a difference. And I remember seeing pregnant women. I, was, I worked on a needle exchange for um, to decrease transmission of, of HIV and hepatitis and and seeing pregnant women come and exchange needles and how, like I knew it was preventing her from getting infected, but how I felt so powerless um, yeah. to like about what else was going on and all the larger pieces. And I had my own child with a nurse midwife around then. And it was such a powerful experience that I said, that's it. It's not just giving education, it's empowering. So I mm -hmm. sort of felt like I was going upstream towards more of the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, and but in working as a as a as a midwife, really seeing that stress, toxic stress, and trauma were actually deeper issues. And I, I think sort of the seminal one of the seminal events was working with a woman who had a really horrible. She was a labor and delivery nurse, and she had a really horrible first birth experience, like just completely disempowering and just you know just you know, bed rest and just, you know, OB not listening, just bad, bad, bad. And, and really wanted to turn that around with her second birth. And mind you, she was super educated. She was a, a, a labor and delivery nurse and this right. still happened to her. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to turn that around and have, you know, an empowering birth. And we worked really hard collaboratively and, and she had the birth of her dreams. Mm -hmm. But what happened was afterwards, she had incredible postpartum anxiety and, realizing that her childhood, her experience of um, trauma, really, and mm -hmm. as a child, exacerbated, you know, through life, mm -hmm. was, was no, you know, giving her a positive, helping her achieve her positive birth experience was no match for mm -hmm. what, what the forces she was contending with. And I think yeah. that encapsulates my wanting to work around stress, toxic stress and trauma as sort of root causes for people mm -hmm. suffering, especially around the birth, um, you know, for, for moms and babies. Right. Right. Absolutely. Wow. Um, right. So you started out kind of um, more, more on the outside of seeing, well, what happens to birthing women and, and going deeper, you got to the birth and then you got to understand the full spectrum of how trauma impacts them. Yeah. Uh, and that is a lot of the work that you do right now, correct? Yeah. So, you know, probably for the last 10 years or so, I've taken a detour outside of clinical midwifery to really learn all I could about stress and and trauma and different treatment modalities from a number of perspectives. Because mm -hmm. um, I tend to be like, you know, a big, big picture thinker, but also very practical. Like, what are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And a lot of trainings, a lot of work with people. And I'm coming back full circle now to bring what I've learned into the space where the childbearing year, because I think it's, I always knew it was important, 
Mm-hmm. Um, even before this was before epigenetics, before we knew that there was, you know, changes in the that stressful experiences around our in pregnancy can imprint the future generations. Um, I, I feel like extra confirmed that, you know, once the epigenetic, we now know that mm-hmm. altogether, that this is a really special time in, in, in our lives and it can really change the trajectory one way or another. And so bringing the work about building resilience, mm-hmm. how do we build resilience in for pregnant people right. and their families, right? Yeah. The whole system there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really love that about your work that you focus on the resilience and the, knowing fully well that the trauma is there. Um, but the resilience really focuses on the ability of, of people who've been through so much to keep going and to hopefully, um, with your help, keep going in a, in a more healthy or increased coping type of way. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things about healing, there's this idea that we have to tear things down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it's actually a pretty masculine perspective. Like, let's just tear down all this bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really kind of a firm believer, like, what can we build up, right? Mm -hmm. What's good? What's working? Because if we're all like, here, something is working. It may not be much, but something is working. (laughs) And how do we build on that? And how do we help draw out the strengths? And I always, you know, as a midwife, we don't deliver babies. Mm -hmm. We hold space, we guide, and and people deliver their own children. Mm -hmm. And and I believe that there's strengths, there's like untold strengths within us, but having somebody help guide and pull those out. And then when you're in that place of strength, it's a lot easier to say, you know what, I'm going to dismantle this or this, this needs to come down. It's not serving me anymore. Mm-hmm. But you're doing it from a, a resourced place. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's an analogy I often give, um, which is that I think when we think about um, trauma healing or something, it's like people are drowning. Or even if you're just super stressed out, you're drowning this sense of like, I am so overwhelmed. And what mm-hmm. if you saw someone drowning, you would never like say, just go, you know, go stick your head further in the water, swim deeper. <laughs> we would right. never ever say that. Instead, right. we throw them a lifeline. Mm-hmm. And so I think about the work that I do as helping throw people a lifeline to help them find like almost build an oasis, an island on mm-hmm. those really stormy, turbulent waters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, life will happen and it kind of pushes you down and you fall in the water again. But mm-hmm. when you know how to get back up on that island over and over again, how to find that calm and that peaceful place within you, that strength. And the more often that you do that, you have, the, again, you have a place of resource from mm-hmm. which to explore the turbulent water, from which to operate. Um, so that's, I kind of think about resilience, especially in pregnancy. You don't really want to be digging up stuff. You don't like, you don't do a detox in pregnancy. Right. You don't do it, you know, in any way. You don't do that in the postpartum when you're breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. So it's about calming, stabilizing, nurturing, again, resourcing, um, looking what's already there and what can we add? What can we grow? That's amazing. Uh, I really love that. And I, I feel like a lot of um, pregnant and postpartum folks who listen to this can resonate with the um, examples that you gave because it's so powerful and it's so true. We, um, just having a, a place of stability first 
uh, is so important. It's so important. Right. And even, you know, I mean, if you have clinicians who are listening, you know, I've worked, I remember recently teaching a, a course, a public course, um, and there was a mindfulness-based therapist in the course. And she said, you know, um, she teaches mindfulness and she's a marriage and family therapist. And she said, I realize that I'm not actually paying close enough attention to my clients' nervous systems and I'm pushing them too fast. Mm, yeah. Um, and I need to slow down the pace of what I'm doing. It needs to be more, there's a gentleness in the work that we do mm-hmm. um, that I think comes from midwifery. Um about, you know, I have found that by going slow and steady and resourcing that you go much further, like people Mm -hmm. are doing the best they can at any given moment. And Mm -hmm. so when you ask them to do more, they usually just collapse Mm -hmm. or shut down or have to compartmentalize or avoid because they need to survive. And, but when you resource people, people naturally want to do more. People are naturally curious. People are naturally, they we grow. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think following the rhythm of um, of healing, where resource first, and then the challenge can come, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where you know, growth. You know, the thing about resilience and adversity is we do grow, we do get stronger, but it mm-hmm. has to be within our window of tolerance. If it's outside of our window of tolerance, it's too much. It doesn't right. cause us to grow; it causes us to break. 
Oh, it's so true. Um, and you, you mentioned the nervous system. Um, and can you say a little bit more about how you, how the nervous system plays a role here? So, you know, one of the things we teach and we teach this thing called the resilience toolkit at my organization. It's, it's actually a program that I developed and it, it comes through in part a nervous system lens, which is to say that, you know, our nervous systems are, and it's, it's more than our nervous systems is a controlling system of our body, but it communicates with our immune system and also with our hormone system. So the three, the big controllers there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That these systems are there to keep us safe. And that when we feel threatened, they go into a defense state. Mm-hmm. And that defense state really shifts every single system in the body, mental, emotional, physical, how we relate to ourselves and others, everything changes when we're in a defense state. So sometimes like, for example, anxiety, I think is often mistaken. We just say, oh, I'm anxious. But when we actually look at somebody is in a defense state around, it could be something very legitimate to be afraid of. This is hard times we're living in. Right. And it may, so when we if we name it as there's can be a danger in pathologizing it, mm-hmm. right? As saying it's a mental health disorder, as opposed to saying this is actually an adaptive response to a situation that a mom is dealing with. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a woman who was being, um, for you know, just to be, a, it's a little bit more extreme, but we have a program with pregnant and parenting teens. And some of them are homeless. They're dealing with some really incredible adversity and just incredible survivors they are. Mm-hmm. But when one of them says, I'm homeless, I'm on a voucher, I'm in a motel, and um, I'm feeling really scared and stressed, that's probably an adaptive response. And while we might say, yes, she's anxious, I would say it's a pretty normal response. Right. It doesn't mean that it can't be harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't do anything about it. But I think by naming it appropriately, like if we realize this young woman's situation is in part because of her her environment Mm -hmm. and and making changes in her environment, I think she will be able to find more calm and stability. Now, if she was completely safe, right? If we take a woman who is completely safe with adequate um, food and a roof over her head and caring and loving people around her, and she is feeling um, scared, right? Mm -hmm. And we might say, I might look through a nervous system lens and say, maybe there was something historical mm-hmm. where you didn't feel safe. And, mm-hmm. and that, that worry that's there was actually very well placed and adapted mm-hmm. for a past situation, but the body has become stuck in it and hasn't been able to appraise that it's okay now. And in that case, there is something we can do through a nervous system lens to downregulate or calm that defense response. Hmm. that answer your question? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's beautiful. And uh, you know, just thinking of all of the, the moms and oh, partners and people who are affected by uh, this, these types of stressors um, and the interplay with uh, mental health and maternal mental health specifically, it's just, 
if we, I, I just feel that you're the way you framed that and the way you look at it, it has just such a more compassionate understanding of someone's situation as opposed to saying, you know, adding sort of insult to injury, like blaming the person who's struggling for, for why they're struggling. Like, oh, well, you're this and you need to fix it. It's just making it worse. But you're saying, hey, this is going on for you. Right. And what are the supportive things that we can do to help you to, to heal through this? Yeah, I mean, it's looking at, you know, what are the systemic factors and what are the individual factors? I think mm -hmm. there's one of the most damaging things we can say to people is to hold them responsible for systemic factors. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people, it really is disempowering and people are already caring a lot. Yeah. But that's not to say there's not something we can do and there's not individual factors. You know, I've learned this a lot in, in doing trauma work, community-based trauma work and individual trauma work is that a lot of people like, Oh, I don't have trauma. That's, mm -hmm. that's not me. That's somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, trauma is an overwhelming experience, something that's just bigger than us. Mm -hmm. um, and there's little traumas, there's big traumas. I don't want to, you know, minimize some of the true atrocities that happen in the world, but they're all relative to your ability to, to cope. So, you know, what's traumatic for a two-year-old when their peas touch their, you know, they're tired and their peas are touching their chicken <laughs> yeah. and they're like completely in meltdown, yeah. right? As opposed to, you know, your peas touch your chicken and you're, you know, 25 years old and, you know, laughing at a great dinner with family and friends, not a big deal. Right. So we have to look at what are people's past trauma loads, their stressor loads, their physical health, their support systems to, and really let people define for themselves when something feels like too much. Mm -hmm. But I also find that people, sometimes the stories we have to tell ourselves so we can get through um, day to day, we have to yeah. say that wasn't that bad. Oh, and right. It, it wasn't a trauma. I'm okay. Right. And, and you can't force someone to say, yeah, it was a trauma. Mm -hmm. You can't, but this is another thing. When somebody is well-resourced, when we work on resourcing them and building strength and building capacity, they might say, you know what, now that I'm feeling a little better, you know what, I can say that was really bad. Yeah. And I would like to heal that, right? Yep. So it's, again, that idea, you can't ask someone to do more than they, they can handle at a time. Mm -hmm. It's not helpful. It's not, it's not therapeutic. Right. Um, and there's already so much going on in the perinatal period of time um, that people are already trying to understand and wrap their mind around. And, you know, d depending on what their needs are, that, that might not be the time, like you said um, a bit earlier, to be digging into to these traumas and sort of trying to force people on some level to understand they've been traumatized in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think you can force force that conversation. It needs to be phased. It needs to be gentle, and we need to, you know. Again, I believe when people are well resourced, they're naturally going to migrate towards health and do do the healing work. Now, it just it's not a it just happens if you've got the bandwidth. It's making the bandwidth, and I mean it brings up. I think about pregnancy, especially a first pregnancy, learning nutrition, learning about, um, you know, car seat, childbirth education, infant mm -hmm. care, breastfeeding. There's like so much. And you're, you're like still, you know, like prepping your home and, mm -hmm. and keeping money coming in because you're yeah. working. Or what, there's a lot going on. And that a lot of times I think this conversation around stress gets really pushed to the side as something extraneous. I, I think mm -hmm. it happens in general, not just in pregnancy, in mm -hmm. our culture, when I don't have time is what I hear. 
And truthfully, if are you, you are you talking about the the client or patient? Or are you talking about their provider? Doesn't have everybody. time or both? No, but nobody has time. <laughs> nobody yeah. has time. The yeah. provider has all the you know. I've got to do X X and X and this conversation and that, and I've got to check all the boxes, and I've got this much time to do it. Yeah. But it's our culture. It's culture of hurry. And what I have found mm. in addressing my you know speak personally about my own nervous system right? Mm -hmm. My ability to settle my nervous system, things flow easier and I have more time. Mm. So I, it's actually a sign to me that when I'm hurried, it's a sign that I'm stressed. Yeah. It's not the result of being stressed. It's a sign of being stressed. Mm -hmm. And in that way, taking a pause Find, you know, letting something, you know, using, we use a number of different tools that I use regularly myself, using some of these tools, settling my system, and suddenly there's creative answers, time magically appears. It's just, it's kind of, right. um, you know, a miracle. But so I think the culture doesn't recognize stress and doesn't want to, you know, we just caffeinate it away. <laughs> um, I think um that so that of course means people who are pregnant and and their caregivers and it reminds me when i was um practicing maybe like 2002 we were doing in our home birth practice really i think strong nutrition education for our clients and i was realizing that that wasn't happening in the private obstetrical world if you were on aid state aid you get you know uh, a, a dietitian you get some education actually but um, I may not necessarily agree with the way that they were doing, but you get something. In private mm -hmm. obstetrics, you get none. Mm -hmm. And so I developed a whole educational program around nutrition and went and started talking to local obstetricians. And they looked at me like I was from Mars. Like, what? Nutrition? Wait, it doesn't matter. Literally, I was told it doesn't matter. No, what? In 2002? This is not that long ago. Oh, my yes. gosh. And so I think about this converse, that conversation then, and now it's we are clearly much more progress has been made. But I yeah. think that's the same thing around stress. People are like, we don't have time for it. It's not a priority. When in fact, we know, and the, the literature, scientific literature is very clear. In general, pregnancy aside, Doctor, uh, 70 to 90% of all doctor's visits or provider visits are due to in whole or part to stress. Uh -huh. Most of our chronic illnesses are due in whole or part to stress. And yeah. many pregnancy complications, everything from preterm birth, low birth weight, mm -hmm. um, you know, all the perinatal mood disorders are highly correlated with stress. Um, yeah, and not all stress is the same stress. No. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of like the variation of stressors in in people's lives. There's like day to day stress, then there's survival stress. But uh, the, it's the same. But the thing about it is, they both are mediated through the same mechanisms in the human body. Mm -hmm. Your body doesn't like do a different response. It's a graded yeah. response, but it the response for survival is much stronger. But this response for small cumulative stress can still be mm. quite similar. And I would, you know, say it's pretty hard to avoid the news and all the things that are happening in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, it just seems like disaster of the week. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's this, that is like this background noise, all right. stressing people's, you know, this sense of, of fear and lack of stability and safety is kind of, you know, running, Right. Having a good deal of people's energy. So I, I find that 
as we work with people, they and they start to slow down, they start to recognize, they go, I didn't realize how stressed I was. I didn't realize right. how much I was in a fight flight state. You don't realize until mm-hmm. you come out of it and you say, wow, my muscles are much more relaxed. I didn't yeah. realize all those headaches I was getting was due mm-hmm. to. Um, you know, we're, humans are amazingly adaptive. I'm sad that we have to adapt to such adversity so often. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking right now about, you know, let's say there's a, a pregnant or postpartum um, mom listening um, who maybe identifies with um, having high levels of stress or all of the things we've been talking about. What do you do in the work that you do to get them connected to their resilience or to bolster their, their resilience? I think one of the first things which I've already, you know, spoken to is just starting to look a little bit at your environment and realizing that your response may be normal. That is, takes, it like takes this weight off. Like there's mm-hmm. like audible sighs, like, oh, like there's, no, there's nothing yeah. wrong with me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. And that's huge because again, you know, if you can take anything off the plate, mm-hmm. a feeling of responsibility where you shouldn't have one. If you can take that off someone's plate just by that that perceptual shift, that's yeah, huge. It is. Um, so I'm going to you know give a lot of, a lot of points for that. Um, the other thing is, I think, is starting to recognize people's own rhythms of stress and relaxation. A lot of times we can we can talk about say, um, I often will start some of our classes with, how do you know when you're relaxed? How do you know? What tells you when you're relaxed Mm -hmm. is what do you feel in your body? What do you feel uh, emotionally? Mm -hmm. How is your mind? And we brainstorm this often. And you can literally see folks start to settle. And then mm-hmm. notice a yawn and we talk about yawning, yawning being a sign that you're feeling safe enough that you can start to let go and relax. Mm-hmm. And so people start to recognize that they have this capacity again, because we forget because no one ever asks this question. In fact, yeah. some people kind of scratch their heads like, really? And they, and they can sink into it and saying, and pointing out that this is your, you know, it's a biological capacity that you have to do this, mm-hmm. right? And then we can talk about those other states of activation and what they look like and what they feel like, but then keep coming back to this space, whether we use breath, whether we use short mindfulness, I call them like little hacks, whether mm-hmm. we use movement and to, to come back to this place, Right. So if if I can ask you, I'm thinking of like the very highly, highly anxious moms, um, the ones who kind of balk and laugh a little bit at me when I suggest breathing, mm-hmm. um, because the what they're going through feels so big in comparison to regulating their breath. Yeah. So can you speak a little bit to how and, and why regulating breathing and, and using mindfulness is helpful? So... You know, regulating the system, um, if it's appropriate, like if you're truly safe and, and it's okay, coming down, is it's really uh, important because that's when your immune system and, and all your body systems kick into gear the way they should be working to support a healthy pregnancy. So we know it's mm-hmm. why it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the, the how of it, there are many different techniques. Mm -hmm. And I find depending on someone's level of activation, they don't all work well. So, um, and I, I think this is something that's not often talked about and it's not so PC, but I, I, um, I'm going to say it because I see it. The I, often there's a gold standard of insight meditation, which means just coming in and noticing everything that's happening in your body. Truthfully, if somebody has very high activation, like very high, like kind of fight flight energy, or they feel uh, overwhelmed and shut down, I would not recommend that right. because when they do, there's a reason why they're shut down um, mm-hmm. because there's too much activity going on inside. Mm-hmm. It's to ask them to then go into it mm-hmm. often makes them feel worse. And so you'll hear people say, well, I can't meditate. Yeah. I feel horrible. And there's this value judgment because meditation is good. So if it's good and I can't do it, I must be bad. And mm-hmm. the shame vortex kicks mm-hmm. in. Yeah. And what I say, and I say it over and over again, is meditation is good. There's nothing wrong with it. And you are good. There's nothing wrong with you. It's mm-hmm. just not the right tool for you now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also is a huge relief in people. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there is something. And so, you know, same thing. Certain kinds of breath I find when people are really either numb and shut down in a sort of depressive state or very, very anxious, often breath is not the best choice. It often can make people more anxious. So I think we have to trust people when they say that doesn't work for me mm-hmm. and say, what I always say is I'm that's so glad that you're realizing what you need, right? Which, mm-hmm. uh, and then let's try a different way to approach this. And so it might be, for example, orienting rather than turning inwards, mm-hmm. let's orient to the external environment. And mm-hmm. you know, what, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you smelling? And, and kick, you know, pulling in from the senses, and often people will say, oh, that's that I can do. Right. And you may find is that from that settled place, and they do that repeatedly, and they're able to access that place more often, then you could try turning inwards and see if it works later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, you know, being in partnership when we work with folks, um, listening to them saying what's working and what's not working, being creative, and because there's a lot of different tools out there. And and very specifically for maternal mental health, perinatal mental health, what have you seen, or and how do you how do you see that? that building resilience, and maybe this is an obvious question, but um, how does it help? Well, I mean, I think if we look at, at the, the, the flip side, if we know what high stress does in pregnancy, what it does to preterm birth and those things that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. it would be that we're not seeing those things, right. right? So we're seeing better outcomes. And we've started a partnership with a local birth center. And in 2018, we're actually going to be doing some research really looking at length of labor, looking at transfers, looking at some of those things that happen um, related to if we're put, putting in these, these tools early in pregnancy, we're trying to get them in very early second trimester um, so that uh, people have a, a chance to really put them into play. And this birth center is actually going to be... Um, they do an anxiety screen at the second postpartum, depression and anxiety screen at the second postpartum visit. And so they're going to be 
anyone who screens positive is with their partner are going to be coming to the classes. So we really hope to see not just theoretically, but Mm -hmm. actually to be able to have some, you know, hardcore data to show what we, I mean, we see it um, experientially. I remember teaching a, a pregnant woman who was pretty close to her due to about 38 weeks, I believe. And she, you know, it took her a while, but she made it. And she, as we did the class, she said, I'm contracting, right? She goes, I don't contract. Everyone says I got to stay active to, and that will help me, you know, have more Braxton Hicks and soften my surface because she's 38 weeks. She's term. Mm-hmm. And she goes, but I don't contract. But as I'm relaxing, my, I'm contracting. Mm. she's like, is this what needs to happen? Mm. Right. That she could sense into that safety. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and let that happen. And when she stood up from the, the, she said, I think the baby dropped, like the baby had been so high. And in a first Mm -hmm. time, you know, we want to see the baby, you know, drop and start, you know, providing some kind of interaction, deeper interaction with the cervix, you know, a couple weeks before, before your due date. And, and she stood up and she's like, oh, the baby's in my pelvis. But that's, you know, just, a, you know, one example of when you can settle how the different body systems can kick into gear. That's beautiful. Yeah. Right. And I mean, obviously, I'm thinking ideally, we would all be able to do that. Um, yes. On, <laughs> on some level. Um and, you know, just with the juxtaposition of how you were saying before, just this constant onslaught of the stress we have just from watching the news or hearing about things um, and then our own history and then our family and all these layers and levels of, of stressors in our environment. Um, this, uh, what you just described, that woman's experience does feel like that little safe island, like she found that spot. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you could just see, I mean, she just softened and, and, and we affect each other, right? Yeah. We really do affect each other. So we know, you know, if we're highly stressed in pregnancy, it causes a change in the, the stress hormone system, the genetic expression of the stress hormone system in our children. Yeah. Um, no one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. 
but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. And you see many cultures, traditional cultures around the world where they talk about keep things calm and peaceful for pregnant women so the babies will be calm and peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, that's before we knew anything about the science of epigenetics, where mm-hmm. we know for sure that, you know, children of extreme um, situations in pregnancy, like the Holocaust or 9-11, that we, but, you know, in those situations, there are changes mm-hmm. in the, the gene expression for the stress system, causing the child, basically high stress in pregnancy creates an experience so that the child's stress system is prepared to handle high stress. So they're right. coming into the world already defensive. Mm-hmm. And so what we can do, our effect for just our own health, but also sometimes we as moms can't do things for ourselves, but we can do them for our kids. Right. And, you know, hopefully as we keep doing them for our kids, we start to be included in that, in that container of care. So all, all of what we've been talking about is so amazing and, and so essential. And um, I feel like everybody should be uh, given this kind of information and, and these resources. And you do this um, as part of your work. Um, so if people are interested in learning from you or holding a workshop or having you come out to them somewhere, can you tell us about what you do? Sure. Um, so... My organization is called Lumos Transforms, and as we believe that light, we need more light in the world, Lumos being light. Um, So we offer public classes in the LA area, about to add some in New York and Vancouver, because we have some staff there as well. And we do online classes because we've had requests and um, had people from the UK and Canada and Australia take our online classes. And they're done in small series because... This is about learn. It's not just about learning. Resilience doesn't happen overnight Mm -hmm. and it doesn't happen alone. Mm -hmm. Um, We doing them in a small, very small groups, even the online classes are like no more than eight folks doing them together um, brings in these new ideas, these new ways of of experiencing ourselves and safely trying out the different tools Mm-hmm. Until um, and then coming back a week later and saying what worked, what didn't work, how do you test drive that? Mm-hmm. You know what's practical. So learning to develop habits is really important in terms of pregnancy um, and the the childbearing year. We're offering classes. Um, I think I mentioned we've partnered with Del Mar Birth Center in South Pasadena in the LA area to offer a week. Um, it's a two part series once a month that. Um, So we're very excited to be partnering. And then we have some programs with pregnant and parenting teens that are school-based or community Mm. agency-based. You know, our organization works across sectors and we work with a lot of professional, um, you know, from social work to education, a lot of other, you know, because we, again, we believe, just like you said, these are sort of life skills. And we imagine that as more people learn them, 
we are able to connect because when we're in a settled place, we're all the things we want to be. We're connected. Mm-hmm. We're compassionate. We're motivated. We're, you know, all, we're vital. All of those things are sort of this natural outpouring of a settled nervous system. And the more people that are, can be in that place in families, in workplaces, in organizations, we believe that we can create systems and structures that are more kind and sustainable and just. Um, <sighs> so, yeah. Oh, ah. you, know, you know, it's like that's <laughs> our idea. So we do believe that, yeah. in, and caregivers, like, you know, if your obstetrician or your mental health provider is super stressed out, what, you know, how safe can we feel if they're stressed? Mm-hmm. Right. So, as for pro- provider myself, I, you know, I take it very seriously that I need to do this work if I'm working with folks. Yeah. So on all levels, yes, more of that, and we train people to be certified so that it can just ripple. So it's I love that. I love yeah. that. I love the work that you're doing. It's so important. And I'm so glad to have you on and share this with everybody. And if anybody who's listening wants to learn more from Inkem, I will have all of the links to her, her organization and social media platforms um, in our show notes. So thank you so much, Kat. You know, you really putting maternal mental health front and center and you using an intersectional lens to do it. I, you know, and including so many different voices is so important that I just, I feel really honored to be here in conversation with you. So thank you. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. I appreciate that. Thank you for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Well, mom and mind listeners, what do you think? Doesn't what Inkem said make so much sense? I feel like this type of support is what is missing from perinatal care in general. I mean, you, you can imagine what we would all feel like if we had this type of support that Inkem was discussing, and not just for pregnancy and postpartum, but for pretty much everything. I love the resourcing that she describes and the island of security and safety before you go out and deal with difficult things. Taking it easy on perinatal women is just the right thing to do. If you'd like to connect with Inkem, you can find her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Lumos Transforms, as well as on the website lumostransforms.com, L-U-M-O-S transforms.com. I'll have all of this information for you up in the show notes so you can access that for yourself. If you know someone who could really use the support of this episode, please send it along. Links are available at momandmind.com. And please hop onto iTunes, YouTube, or any of the places you listen to this podcast and give it a star rating or review. That really helps others to find this valuable resource. All right. Thanks for being with us. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Also, please subscribe and share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for being a part of the Mom and Mind community. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? 
That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross-type paint-on-paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking